This podcast is brought to you by Story King Books. Sign up now and get a free copy of my latest ebook, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. The link will be in the show notes. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Story King Podcast, the show featuring inspirational conversations about the art and business of storytelling and living life. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today's guest is our good friend and founder of the Music in the Brain program, Leisha LeCarry. Leisha LeCarry is from New York City. She holds a bachelor's degree in music theory and a master's degree in music education from the Manhattan School of Music. She also studied music in Paris with Nadia Boulanger, a French music teacher and conductor who taught many of the leading composers and musicians of the 20th century. She taught music for more than 30 years and for a majority of those years led her nonprofit Music and the Brain program, MATB for short. This is a public school program inspired by neurological research linking music and cognitive development. MATB is the experience of what studies are telling us. When children receive sequential music instruction, it can impact their proficiency in language, reading, math, and cognition. Nearly 300 schools across the world use the easy-to-teach curriculum to help children and adults understand and appreciate the language of music, as well as read music and play the piano. There's a TED Talk she gave a few years back posted on YouTube called How Music Empowers the Brain. I'll make sure that link is in the show notes. Babe, you first got into teaching in the New York City school system through Music and the Brain. What was your experience working under her and teaching the program? Well, over 17 years ago, I I started as a substitute teacher and I was asked to teach this Music and the Brain program. And having been taught as a pianist, I fell in love with the program is really accessible. And the training that they did was so extensive and, and really just child focused. And after I finished the year, I called her up and I said, would I be able to work for you and with you? And she was gracious enough to take me under her wing and really mentor me as the teacher that even today, there are things that she's taught me that I still hold fast to. I mean, one of the biggest things she said was if if a child doesn't get something, it's it's on the the onus of the teacher and not the child. So she she really just imparted so much wisdom and and she's just very compassionate. She's very inspiring. Every single training we had gone to, I left feeling energized and it's just been such a beautiful experience and a wonderful um, opportunity to get to know her and to get to spend time with her and her family and just to be friends because she really is a beautiful person inside and out. Yeah, I agree. And I think the listeners are in for a treat. So here is our conversation with Leisha LeCarry. Leisha LeCarry, welcome to the Story King podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Yeah, we're very excited to have this. For for the listeners who don't know, Leisha is a good friend of ours. We've known each other for a long time. And as I start every conversation, I always ask my guests to give us just a little bit of a background about your life. If you could just kind of, what was your childhood like in a nutshell, of course? It was very happy. And I don't remember a lot of it, but I only remember that it was good. That's nice. I definitely was not a good student and it didn't seem to phase me. So hmm. I, don't re- I don't remember much about school. Interesting. 
Now, I, I know you studied under Nadia Boulanger for a time. Is that correct? Yes. And that part, I, that, starting in high school, I do remember things. Um, and that was at the very end of high school. It was, oh. it was uh, life-altering. Wow. Well, yeah. Tell us about that experience. And, and for those not familiar with, with her work, if you can sort of brief us on who she was and what, what she did and how you even got involved in studying under her. Okay, I'll go backwards. Um, I got involved in studying with her because I picked up the phone and called. <laughs> and I told her I wanted to work with her and she fit me into her schedule, maybe not immediately, but eventually. Um, going further back, she was the teacher and the ears for some of the greatest musicians, a lot of them American, but also European, just the best of the best in the 20th century, you know, in the 20th century. And going back a little further than that, both she and her sister, Lily Boulanger, had been composers. And Lily went on to, to become somewhat famous for some of her compositions, but she died very young. Hmm. And Nadia Boulanger, she knew she didn't have the music in her that people needed to hear. And then she turned to teaching and um, she did it for so long and on all different levels. And she treated each one of us exactly who we were so it was um it was it was not my very first music teacher that i learned a huge amount from but but i learned things i wanted to do and things i didn't want to do as a teacher for her that's awesome and i love the fact that you said i just picked up the phone and called like that's a life lesson right there that a lot of people just don't do that oh, and it's a simple if, thing <laughs> oh yeah if you if you want something you you try and if it doesn't work try somewhere else or try again Similarly, and you won't, I don't think you would know to ask me this, but I came back to the States not long before she died because I, I knew I just had to get into a, a real music school and learn a lot more. I wasn't prepared for what I, I, I was nowhere near prepared enough for her and I needed to fill in a lot of gaps. But she passed away while I was, when I had come back to New York. And at one point I went back to Paris with my now husband, but the person I was going to be married to. And we happened to go back. I wanted to get photographs. I wanted, I wanted to write a play with music about being a music teacher and a music student. And I did write it and we did go back and we got photographs of Paris, but we went back to her apartment the exact day before construction was going to start for people who had just bought the apartment. And the concierge who was there when I had been a student let me in to this empty apartment and you could see the shadows of the two pianos that were there. You could see the shadows on the wall of the cello she had hanging up. You saw where the organ was, where we sat there alone together. And then also in the group of kids, all of us who went to see her on Wednesdays had group lessons. But nothing was left there except those shadows of, of where all her music had been. It was amazing timing. I never, I never completed the project, but Sure, have a lot of nice photographs if I ever do. <laughs> and I did write the play. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it, it needs work. It, it needs a writer. To, <laughs> it needs a writer to go through it. <laughs> so you never produced the play. No, I, I, yeah, it needed a good writer, but it's kind of a, I, I feel like it could be a story that could be told. So you obviously got interested in music at a young age if you were, you know, studying under her in, in high school. So, so when did you first like get into it was music? my, well, I didn't get into music until high school. 
Mm. And if anything, I had teachers who made me hate music um, before then. But in my last years of high school, I started studying counterpoint with this amazing fellow and counterpoint and harmony. And it just kind of blew my mind. I don't know how to explain why exactly, but it did. It was just all at the end of high school. And then I met her, what would have been my last semester. The school I went to had semesters you could take elsewhere. And I knew she taught harmony and counterpoint and ear training and stuff like that. And um, I was so hungry to learn more about counterpoint, especially, but to really understand it, to the way you could break down sounds and distinguish one from another and the importance of each voice in it was very inspiring to me. And it, it strangely, it fit in with the music I listened to as a child because I floated between Bach and Edith Piaf and Aretha Franklin. And <laughs> I got to, and I probably hung a little more on Aretha than anybody else, but, um, but I really could hear the sounds in it in a way that, um, all I can say is it elevated it for me tremendously. But all of that really gelled in high school, the end of high school. Now, I'm, I'm kind of like shocked because I've known you for all these years and now I'm learning all these things about you. Um, but <laughs> I, I think it's really cool that you say that you weren't a good student. You got interested in this in high school and you learned from, from her what to do and what not to do. And you were an excellent teacher because, I mean, I've sat under you and I've watched you and you've helped me. So would you like to share some of the things that you did learn? Because, I mean, like you. Oh, yeah. Me. Oh, absolutely. Um, and by the way, I say I was a bad student in school up until the it was really only up until the 10th grade. I don't remember ever, ever doing any homework. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't remember it. I don't remember doing it at home. I don't remember handing it in. I don't remember getting it back. I just don't remember it. But at the very end of high school, I switched schools and I got this inspiring teacher who broke me into that. But what I mean about learning from her, I, I learned from her what I didn't want to be as a teacher. And my own feeling, my it's just natural to me that I wanted people to love music. And I wanted it to be accessible to everybody. And I did not get that from her. I got, I left in tears every week for the first year and a half. By the end of it, but when I finally broke through a little bit, I wound up being much closer to her and understanding more of what, you know, just getting a few inches closer to, to what she was talking about. But she was a kind of a teacher that, Either you get it or you don't get it and don't waste my time kind of thing. And that's not how I feel about teaching music. I, I try to learn. I learn from students and I also want them to, I, I learn as much as I try to teach, but I want to find a way to get them to love it as much as I do and to make it accessible. So even when it's a complicated, either you're teaching somebody to teach or you're teaching somebody about music. But you want to find the you want to look at them and see if they're getting it. You know, if if a student doesn't understand something, my philosophy is it's because you didn't teach it correctly. Hmm. And once you know that, you can reach everybody if you if you want to. And during the years later on, when I was working with so many teachers, some of them didn't have them that in them. They never thought they could learn anything from a student. 
for me, every single day, and my best teaching years were when I taught high school, I looked forward to finding what they were going to think that day and what perceptions they were going to have about something that I played for them and why and all that interest. You know, the learning went back and forth. If I felt somebody just didn't understand a concept, I had to find a way to make it there for them, make it easier for them to grasp because then that concept itself can be as complicated as they want it to be once they have it. So not, Boulanger was, was really, t- I literally left in tears every single week. The, 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 the maid who saw me in and out would say, oh, my pauvre, you know, I'd be crying. But I went back the next week. And also that was the private lesson, but also with her, we did group lessons and we would sing through great works of, of music. We sang through the Well-Tempered Clavier, which is a keyboard piece. And it's two volumes. And we sang from the end of volume two back to the front. She explained she wanted us to do it that way because nobody ever gets to the back of book two. So, um, but we sang each one of the voices. And I thought that was brilliant too. All those Wednesday classes with everybody were just thrilling, really thrilling. Hmm. Now, what would you say to a teacher that would say that they're too many kids to be able to reach every single one? Oh, I'm glad I never heard that from anybody. Um, (laughs) I don't think good teachers feel that way. I'll start with that. Well, what would I say to that person? I would say, come really prepared. Watch them. See where you're not reaching people. And design ways the next day or later in that lesson specifically to reach that one that you thought you hadn't reached. And yeah, a lot of kids are very tuned out. We all have had them. I had high school kids, 28 of them at a time, you know, and so those were big class, maybe even over 30 in some of the classes. You don't always reach everybody, but you have to, you have to strive to. I had, I had so much respect for the teachers that I worked with doing music in the brain, but it didn't come up a lot. It really didn't come up a lot. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll come back to that more. Let me, let me think on that one a little bit more. I must say in high school, I had an experience with a student who was obsessed with fixed dough versus movable dough. I'll leave this to all of you. to If you don't know what it is, I'll explain it in a minute. Um, one is the concept that middle C, C is always dough. And, mm. and the movable dough is where any note that's the beginning of a scale is dough. And having studied in France, you have to be fluent in both of them as far as I'm concerned. It's very, both are very useful. But this child, <laughs> this was in high school, and she was really a good music student. Uh, so I had advanced music and I had regular music, and she was advanced. She burst into tears when I tried to make them sing Do from an A. <laughs> she said, you can't do that. And I remember her stopping my class, like getting really riled. And I gave her, I must have given her a good 10 minutes of a class, which I, I kind of hoarded my time because I didn't have much time with them. And she just, and so finally I said, you know, we really need to talk about this tomorrow. Why don't you come back and we'll talk about this tomorrow? She goes, no, you can't move dough. And it was like, <laughs> so you have, you have these moments. And, um, you know, I think it's nice when teachers can also find other teachers to bounce ideas off of. But, you know, we all have those moments where we're just not going to be able to reach somebody. And then you have the other 27 and you're still trying to get them through the idea of being able to sing <laughs> dough from anywhere and we got there so it happens it, you, sometimes you can't reach everybody 
but you try. Now you mentioned music and the brain. Walk, walk us through the timeline. You were a music teacher first. When did you first get the idea for a specific program? What was sort of the inspiration behind all of that? I had been at Hunter High School until my daughter was born. And I stopped teaching that year because they cut the department. So I was free. I was free of a job. And there were studies going on that that's the beginning of this in the late 90s about how music, they were testing very in very basic, silly ways that music could have an impact on the, on the brain. And the scientist who was doing this was Gordon Shaw. And he was looking for kids who studied music scored better than kids who took computer lessons. The studies were going on. I went out to California and visited Shaw. And what he set up, first of all, he was working on a big math program. I didn't know this at the time. And he was only testing for math, kids who did music or kids who did computer. He found positive effects, significantly positive. In other words, enough of a difference that it meant something. Mm. But at the end of the day, I went back to New York thinking four students to one teacher. I can't, that can't happen in the public schools in New York. Mm-hmm. And it had to be designed on a bigger scale to reach for teachers to be able to reach a whole class of kids at the same time. So that was sort of the, the transition from the early music and the brain studies that were going on and what we were trying to accomplish with music and the brain in, in New York. And there was a couple of years of doing research uh, to be honest you, with you, when this started, and I was involved with my dad with this, he was on the board of the CUNY grad school, and he wanted to find something good for them to research. And he thought, oh, we can do this research about music. And, you know, and once you find out, once the board of ed finds out that music actually helps kids, they'll put it in every single elementary school and, and our job will be done. But he really just wanted to work with the grad school mm. and get there. And so we did this, this incredible research for a couple of years, but all along. Along the way, I was designing the classes that would then be used to be tested to see if the research showed positive or negative or no effects. Hmm. And we wound up, when I started, I would write a lesson. I would Xerox it quickly and take it in for a teacher to look at it and try. We, I, I was just playing with a million pieces and different teachers. And we did the research with, with the grad center. We did find that it had a, a really amazing effect. One of the schools, they only spoke Spanish at the beginning of the year, and the other school only spoke English, but they were tested for math. They were tested for learning English as a second language. They were tested for spatial temporal reasoning. We did everything that you can test a kindergartner on, hmm. and we got results, not in every single thing, but, but definitely acquiring English as a second language. The kids who studied music outscored kids who did visual arts and books and they read a lot they were doing plays and acting and anything that kept it away from math because we thought math was going to be the only result we would get but the music kids outscored these the the language arts kids in learning english as a second language and it's funny you know in those early studies that led to the development of the curriculum we really we really didn't understand we didn't really believe that it was going to happen i'll be honest with you and, and then at which point you say, well, music is good for your soul and everybody should have it. And on that subject, by the way, everybody should have music because it is good for your soul. Mm-hmm. And poor kids in public schools often don't get it. That was as much my impetus as any studies. 
I have to be honest about that. But anyway, over time, it just, it, it grew into realizing we needed a curriculum. We needed to be able to train teachers. We needed to get the scheduling done in the schools. And we needed to find schools that would do, you know, it, it grew very, I think, very organically after those years of um, the research because we had to teach the kids during that research year. We had to have lessons for them. And so I got to see which lessons worked, which ones didn't, including things like the font for the letters of the lyrics, which ones are easier to read, um, getting kids to point while they're playing. You know, years later, we developed CDs that went with the pro. You know, it, it took a lot of time and a lot of admitting that we had gone wrong at certain steps in the planning of it. Mm. You know, I think... I think when you're dealing with little minds, you have to, and they've got more neurons than we do by a long shot, you know, right. <laughs> you have the most, you have the most when you're born and, and around kindergarten, those neurons are just trying to connect to things. So, um, you know, you just wanted to find as many roots into their brains as you could. So it was how it looked, how it sounded, how it felt, where the teacher should stand, what instruments should we use, headphones, no headphones, you know, all that kind of stuff developed over over a good 10 years i would say we kept improving the materials for, well, for a good 10 years how large were the were the studies uh, you know as far as say, how many kids were involved in these studies we had you know? a, yes we definitely know we had three kindergarten classes in harlem and three kindergarten classes in um in queens mm-hmm. at ps149 actually not oh. to drop a number on me but <laughs> <laughs> We've been in that school for a really long time. And, um, and, and those were challenges, too, because once it got in, the school had to schedule it. There had to be a room. There had, you know, all of those things that come naturally in private schools, you have to fight over in public schools. You really have to fight. And yet we were giving it to the school, the piano lab, the books, the curriculum. And in the beginning, we even provided the teachers. So, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, it's amazing the challenges for doing something new. And even when we got results, we still had to, it was still an uphill battle. We've now been in hundreds of schools and it feels really good. And I know it's, it's still going on, you know, and um, I'm glad there's, I'm glad there's principals that care because it kind of lies on, it falls on their lap at the end of the day. We lost some of our best teachers because principals took them out of that classroom, you know, or they put them in. So, Right. No, so so you 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 were free for to work basically, and were you already working on the program, or you started at that point? Because you, I started some... at that point, and it okay. took and it took several years before I got a salary, but mm. it worked. It, it 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 was okay. It was okay that it happened that way. But then, they, yeah, then it became more real, and then I was, I I was able to hire people to help me, and that you know. We wound up having, I wound up having two people help me at the end of the day, and that allowed it to spread much faster. And, you know, it, some good things came our way and um, a lot of really good teachers. I, I learned a lot of the curriculum was informed by the teachers who were teaching it. I would go and watch them um, and learn from them, learn from them mostly what, what one can do. A few of them I learned over the years what one shouldn't do, but for the most part, no, I mean, for the most part, they, they were the inspiration. One in particular, Robin Casey, was, was my first teacher. We hired her to go into the school she was in to, to help us with our guinea pigs. 
Um, I, I don't know if I've ever learned so much from anybody as I learned from her. How to teach, how to approach music, just everything, every aspect of being a teacher, she wrapped it up in herself. It was great. And, and then along the way later on, you know, I was so lucky to have mostly great teachers, one of whom you're sitting next to, you know, and, and then, and then once we got good ideas from teachers like Mr. Metronome, everybody in the program heard about it. So anybody who was doing anything good and most were, everybody heard about it and then put it into their own repertoire of their own bag of tricks to do with their kids. So back to your question about the one that you can't reach, I don't really remember that being a problem. It certainly wasn't a problem in my, my years of teaching when I was in high school, but I didn't really even see that so much as a problem with teachers in music and the brain. You know, If there was such a child, it probably was matched by a teacher who shouldn't be teaching. Mm. And that happens. I mean, there's nothing one can do about that. You try to inspire them. And I think hearing what other teachers were doing it inspired me, so it had to have inspired them. I insisted. <laughs> but the, I learned from those teachers. The Music and the Brain program then was research itself. It wasn't like you did all this research, then started this curriculum. Was it also part of the research itself? And like, we Was it like to, ongoing, you know what I mean? No, it stopped. The research stopped after a couple of years, but there was no curriculum when I, when I started. It... it it evolved. The first, the first, that first bit of research in Harlem and, and Queens, there was no, no real book. I mean, mm. there was enough books for the lesson of the day, but no, it took time to develop it. It really took time to develop. And then I worked with two other outstanding teachers, especially Robin, but another in Manhattan. And then the books came about. And for years, I kept rewriting them and changing them. And then, I don't know, 10 years into it, we got CDs. So it, it, it took time to develop all of the materials, all of the curriculum, the best practices. Um, we went from training people for a few hours to training them for two days. We realized that you couldn't train teachers in, in one day. It just wasn't enough. So they had mm -hmm. to come back. I didn't know that when we started. It just, I, I learned that. Right. I learned so much doing it. My, my question is, you kind of were hooked into music as a singer, and then in Music in the Brain, it became a keyboard program. I'm How, not a singer. Were you, were you always a keyboard uh, pianist? Or? Oh, always keyboard. Oh, okay. Always keyboard. And uh, I played guitar very badly as a, as a teenager. <laughs> no, I'm not a singer at all. Oh, okay. I can I, I sing to teach people how to sing and, and how to show them how to teach somebody how to sing but absolutely no not at all oh, no, okay. no, 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 so no, no. the piano was your instrument of choice yeah okay yeah for a long time well when you studied under nadia boulanger that that was primarily singing though right or no 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 that was that was theory and okay. composition and I did ear training with an assistant of hers and one day I missed a lesson and I will never forget what happened when I went back, but, um, <laughs> Oh, it was, it was vicious. French education is vicious anyway. No, but I, I, I played piano there and yes, we had to sing, you know, let's say you're playing four part 
four voices for a harmony exercise. There's four voices. She would have you put your hand, reverse your hand so that your left was playing where the right plays. She was doing that. And then you'd have to maybe sing the tenor or the alto line of a four part harmony. So I could do that. I mean, I can, I can stay in tune, (laughs) but I'm definitely not a singer. (laughs) No, no, no. And did you go to private school or did you go to public school? I went to private school and, um, I'm very, very happy that my daughter went to public. <laughs> yeah, because you're very you're private. Private is a big pri- public school. Oh yeah, private school did. I started this a while ago, saying I don't remember ever doing any homework for the first ten <laughs> years of school. Right. <laughs> I don't remember it. I truly, I'm not. I'm really not exaggerating. It it, it didn't stick with me. So hmm. no, I did go to private school. I I went to PS six for three days, and then my parents switched me over to a private school because. They were into that. Not no, not my parents, my father, because he was into the look of that. I am exactly the opposite. That um, the look of that to me is not good, not a good look. So no, I'm I'm very much for private for public schools. But no, I was a terror. I was a terror. I was. I think I would have been a much better student in public school. I really do. What was your most rewarding thing about your time leading mu- music in the brain? The most rewarding thing? Mm-hmm. What do you love the most about it? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm not sure if I can answer that question with one thing. I'm sorry. My life was altered by meeting the teachers I met and working with them. That was, that was life-altering because I didn't get to teach those kids. I had to watch it through the eyes of my teachers that I worked with. But I think my favorite thing that I did with Music in the Brain was um, this series of recordings that we made with a quartet. We decided to take all the silly, stupid, meaningless songs in book one. I mean, meaningless. They are, <laughs> they are so ugly. <laughs> they're really just inherently, they're just ugly, right? But we, <laughs> three notes for four measures. Woo! Um, so, but I think my favorite thing was when I worked with the quartet and in two days we did the 40 books, 40 songs in book one and probably about 120 tracks and two of the musicians knew each other, but everybody else was meeting for the first time. And we sat there and I got to, I got to produce it. I could say, why don't we try this one like jazz? But then everybody kind of got into contributing ideas. Um, there's a song in book one, um, Pentatonic Waves. And the drummer who hadn't spoken all day finally says, oh, Leash, you know, why don't we, why don't we do something Brazilian, something Hobeam? And, and I thought, oh, that's a cool idea. I, I like Brazilian music. And, and it, didn't, it took me hours to realize he said that because Hobeam's first album was called Wave. So this this working together, the five of us, was probably my happiest two days of, of, of 20 years. But, but most of it was very joyous. That was just, that was life-altering to, to do those recordings that way. I, I just had never experienced anything like that. Awesome. So, yeah. But that, that's, that, that's about as good as it got. <laughs> Did you ever feel like giving up? when you had to come up with the materials and you were kind of oh, like in no, the no, throes no, 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 no. of all that? Oh God, no, it never was a burden. 
I'm one of those lucky teachers. And at Hunter, I can say, I was at Harlem School of the Arts and Hunter, each for about 10 years, they overlapped a little bit, not always full time. Every day that I went to work, it didn't feel like work. Every single day, particularly at Hunter, but every day. And also at Music in the Brain, it wasn't, it was joyous. It was, I mean, you get to, you get to write materials. You can pull it out of your ass and make this beautiful piece of music out of it, you know? <laughs> and then watching the kids learn it. No, there was never, there was never a bad day for 20 years. Um, and then there was a bad day, but that passed, you know? But it, it, no, I never, no, never. It was never tedious. Even, even doing the rhythm cards, which should have been tedious, wasn't. You know, and, and the woman I worked with most closely, um, Mina, didn't read music, was not a musician, and she learned how to count to proof my rhythm cards. You know, so it was, there was a lot of camaraderie throughout all of it with everybody, from the kids to, to me and everybody in between, and the principals, everybody. It was a joy. You must be doing something about life right, because I feel like <laughs> you have that answer for a lot of the things. I remember we, we asked you one time about how was it raising your daughter? And you said it was a dream. And, uh, you oh, know, well, I got really lucky. I got really <laughs> oh, that seems to be. Your, but it's cool, though, because it's, you're you're really like putting your heart into everything and enjoying you know, the journey of it. And I, I think well, that's like really, really cool to like hear somebody feel- actually say that. Oh, I feel very lucky. And I do believe in life. You, you get back what you give out. Mm-hmm. But I, that's not why I do it. It's just my daughter was just irresistible. I mean, <laughs> you, just, you, don't, you don't try to get pregnant for 10 years and then do any better than, than Vita. I mean, there's just no way. It's just not possible. And what's amazing, she's 26 <laughs> this year. I, every single year, including this one, I really thought, oh, wow. You know, I didn't think I didn't think she could improve. I didn't think it could get better. And um, it has. It really has. So I yeah, no, I'm I'm very blessed. There's no question about that. That's no very, question about that. That's very cool. Yeah, it's it's a lucky thing. And it's you know, one of the nice things about music in the brain for me, I think maybe this is the nicest thing. I think I'm gonna go back on what I said before was my selfish enjoyment, but I think probably the most fulfilling thing about it was that we offered it and reached children that would not have gotten music. And I was allowed during my time there to go where I wanted to go and go to attack the schools I wanted to attack and not, you know, it's not that we didn't go into a few well-to-do public schools, but I really made an effort to get this into the hands of kids that, we're not ever going to get a, a, a piano lesson. And I think, I guess that for me is, is that has to be it by, by a long shot, actually, now mm. that I'm stopping to, to say it. Um, who we gave it to meant a lot to me. Now, I have a question because this is really just a testament of who you are. And, but, but I'm going to start with a question. Do you think that you are more motivated for the people or for music, because you have not only longed to kind of bring this into schools where the kids wouldn't have had it, but you also have gone into jails as well and have oh, a yeah. program there. Like you personally, like not sending other people, like you have gone into jails. Um, and have oh, I'm I'm waiting to go back. COVID, COVID stopped me from volunteering. 
So mm. your question was whether it's for the music or the people? Right. Oh, for the people. I have my music for me that I can't live without, you know? But it's thrilling to do it with music because I love music so much. It's thrilling to be able to give that to these to all these people. But it's really about it's really about them. It's 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 what you get. It, oh my gosh. You you get it back so many times over. I think I would be very fulfilled teaching people how to read. But but what I like about music is just knowing how much how much it can uplift people and then also all that science behind it i know how much good it's doing beyond just the joy of music and the joy of music is enough i right. do believe everybody should have it so um no i think it's about the people i think if i'm understanding your question right no, no you, you answered it perfectly yeah and i mean so it certainly my, was a fun thing for me right so from my understanding music is more the medium and you love that medium but it's about you know using that medium to reach the people because you said you'd probably be fulfilled teaching them how to read but you you're yeah. using music to do it but it's still about the people so that, that's oh yeah and, and music is just so okay well good yeah i mean music <laughs> music that music says it all and kind of does it all so mm -hmm. um yeah i i'm i'm that that makes me just quadruply lucky you know right. <laughs> it's something that i love get got to be the thing i got to teach so mm -hmm. that's 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 a lucky thing but you do a lot of teaching that has nothing to do with music when you're teaching music i mean seriously there's a lot goes on there's somebody looking at me right now who knows there's a lot more to teaching than just the teaching <laughs> of it <laughs> i mean i had some funny funny instances with kids where i realized you've got to be very careful what you say like and then i started worrying <laughs> about I don't know if I ever told you, Jennifer, but I had this this little boy. Well, not little. He was probably in middle school at the Harlem School of the Arts. And um, I had a rule. That, actually, this was my rule with everybody, including my guys in, in prison. There's no chewing gum if I hear it, see it, or smell it. If you can get away with it, my not hearing it. And by the way, I think hearing it's the worst, that click. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm in this class. I'm teaching music theory. And somebody was chewing gum and i said you know my rule about gum and he said well where do you want me to put it and i said well i, I don't I, throw it away i don't care where you put it and then i said which i now know never to say again i said you can put it up your nose for all i care i just don't want to hear you chew it oh no well you know what he did <laughs> you know what he did so i again you have to be very very careful what you say and not just not just to middle schoolers to adults as well but um some funny things, so many funny things happened. And by the way, he was okay. He's still breathing okay. today. And he's <laughs> I, I can picture a certain son of ours uh, taking those instructions literally yes, too. Yes. <laughs> well, I had a student at Hunter to whom I said something very inappropriate. I'm probably lucky I didn't get fired. And um, 10, no, probably 20 years later, I ran into him on the street and he still remembered the incident. <laughs> He still remembered it. And I said, oh, my God, I am so sorry. It was so inappropriate. He said, are you kidding me? You were the only teacher who ever put me in my place. I mean, it was he was being really rude and I called him out. But the way I called him out is not appropriate. So um, but he remembered 20 years later. I thought, OK, just got away with that one. You know, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, it's, it's all about the people. <laughs> I, I told Jen because, you know, Jen sometimes questions if she holds the kids to too much of a high standard and i said you know the only teacher i talk about 
is the this one teacher that held us to a high standard in high school. He's the only one I talk about, you know, oh, yeah. like because it, it's it's challenging the kids. You know, the kids are just sort of floating through life. And then all of a sudden you have this teacher who kind of says, hey, come up here. You know, you're, oh. you're, you're going to be an adult soon, <laughs> you know, get up here. And uh, and it's a wonderful thing because it it it's kind of a turning point in, in a kid's life, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, but I've seen Jennifer teach you. You talk to them like you would talk to anybody and they do rise to the occasion. They really do. Yours mm -hmm. probably more than most of the other teachers I saw. You talk to them like, yeah, like you're talking to, to an adult. Just own it. It's it's cool. Now, those are the teachers that, yeah. I'm not sure all of what I'll be remembered for, but <laughs> <laughs> a few of the things are probably not appropriate. But I do have a lot of students who still write to me and I it's it's from way back in the day. All right. So I wanted to ask you, what are you working on these days, Leisha? Um, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that I, I've mentioned in the past and I didn't think it was going to happen, but it took a, a twist recently that made me happy, which I guess I would describe it as some kind of online music, access to online music lessons for free. Mm. And, um, but really free, not like take one and then pay for it. Um, <laughs> but, but, but really free. And so I'm got to find a good person to help me design it, collecting a lot of materials and that, but I can't say I'm really working on it. COVID, COVID took me in a different direction and I have to refocus to get that done. But that, that's about it. As far as teaching goes, I hope it happens. You know, what did I do for first year of COVID? I made face masks and gave them away. And um, I can't say I was very productive, but I read a ton. You know, it just, I passed through those first couple of years. And um, I hope also to get back in and do a little more volunteering in prison, or maybe even there's some classes here that need teachers, some juvenile problem people. I don't know. We'll see. Something along those lines. I thought about going back into school and I just don't. I don't think that's going to be my path. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. The free music lesson sound, sounds awesome. Yeah. And I don't want to do it alone. I have one or two people I'm trying to work with. Um, so there will be a listening component, playing component, uh, history component. I just, yeah, we'll see if it works out. Are you looking to do it live or as a video? If you mind me asking. Oh my God. Uh, live or as a video. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, I think it would start as video. But probably there would be some live stuff as well. I'm not sure yet. That's an interesting question. I really have to meet with somebody who's going to put it together for me, and then we'll see how it goes. Now, I have another question, kind of circling back to that original thought about, about the people versus the music, if you don't mind me asking. Okay. Not at all. Do you? <clears throat> but I hold the right to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, where does that come from? So like, and I remember you saying this before, even when we're talking about New York and you were like, I can never see myself leaving New York. I would miss all the millions of people that I don't know. Like, where does that come from? Like, just like the love of people, because there's so many, uh, you know, there's so many people who would be like, oh, I hate people. I can't, you know, they're so rude, especially coming from New York. So I, where I really don't, from? I really have no idea. If I, if I was attributing it to a parent, it would probably be my dad, but it's just the way I am. Hmm. You know, I, um, I don't know. It's just the way I am. You know, during, during COVID, we were in this beautiful place upstate and Vita was with me and her boyfriend came up and I mean, it, it, I was really content 
to have that scene. But I, but I miss seeing people I don't know. Hmm. You know, and the other thing, I, where does it come from? I don't know. I'm one of those people that everybody always asks for directions from. Even when I'm listening to music, <laughs> when my headphones are on, and it's not just anymore. <laughs> this, this, this happens to me when this happened happened to me more than once when I was traveling in France. I'm not even French. <laughs> like I don't look French. <laughs> I have headphones on. Why are you asking me? But I must give off a, an ask me vibe. I don't know. I just uh, an, an approachable vibe. I am. I am really approachable. I. But I. I think sometimes it probably embarrasses my daughter when I'm talk to strangers on the street. Uh, you'd have to interview her about that. Um, but I really don't care. For a while, I was going up to to young people and telling them to stop smoking. <laughs> like, it just, it, you're laughing. That's funny. <laughs> and actually, I did, I, I'll be really fully, I'll, I'll give you the full truth on that. I, I approach young, young-ish, like 20s to 40-year-old men, more than women. I found them more accessible and usually people of color. And, and, and it was really funny. I never got a bad reaction. I never got a bad reaction. And, and there was one guy who works uh, the super at a building down the block from where I live. And I really nagged at him to the point that he would see me coming <laughs> and he would hide this cigarette or cross the street. But it was really funny. And then during COVID, I didn't see him very much. And I, then I came back into New York and I saw him again and I, I waved and I, I wasn't even going to ask him about smoking because like, I figured, oh, you've been through enough. I'm not going to nag you. He said, you didn't ask me. <laughs> and, and I said, well, I, I thought I should leave you alone. He, and then he got this big smile on his face. He said, well, I quit about six months ago. Oh, nice. So, so like, who doesn't want to talk to strangers if you can stop them from smoking? Right. Um, oh, wow. But I don't know where it comes from. I'm a New Yorker. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> my daughter is sixth generation from new york and she she likes the the, the people here too i mean that she doesn't know so mm -hmm. it can become addictive you know <laughs> talking to strangers is, is fantastic though you learn so much by just striking up simple oh, yes. conversations mm -hmm. with people down here i mean they'll give you their life story oh just yeah, you're just yeah yeah, I yeah. mean, you you go to the bakery or something, you're buying, you know, we found Absolutely. out, what did you find out from that guy? You went to the bakery and the guy's telling you all about his like brother and his father that he doesn't get along with. I mean, they're just like literally buying a cake from this guy. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. But everybody wants to vent once in a while, you know, be, right. let them vent on you. But uh, certainly in New York, if they're, and if they're speaking French or Italian, I like attack them. Um, <laughs> with the Italian, I don't speak it very well, but I, I can make hand gestures and get them directions to where they're going. But yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. And then I don't have that as many people vent on me as I, I would enjoy it. You know, I think it also just is, it's just humbling. It, it reminds you of how lucky you are. So mm -hmm. now what do you think about New Yorkers getting the bad rap about being rude? I don't find them rude. Okay. And uh, also Parisians get the same rap. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. And they've never been, they've never been rude to me. Right. Even Never. when we went, they were even very... when we went and we have horrible French. We took like three months of lessons <laughs> and then we're like, we're ready to go to Paris now. They you were know? rude to you? Were they no, not? not at all. We found them just lovely. And, and <laughs> yeah, I, mean... see, I think so. Here's my philosophy on that. And it applies to teaching, too. Um, you get back what you give out. Right. They see you're making the effort. They're they're cool with you. <laughs> or you're just you're open to them. Mm -hmm. Or like me, you like strangers and somehow they feel the vibe. Mm -hmm. Right, but I've had people, you know, 
I've had people in Paris ask me for directions. And I've also had people who loaned me their cell phones so I could call somebody at a time that I didn't have mine with me. So you just give it out and get it back. Right. Now I got two more questions. What would cool. you say to anyone wanting to pursue a life in music or perhaps in the arts in general? What would you tell that person? Oh my God, do it. <laughs> do it. Simple enough. I mean, yeah, it's very simple. And, you know, you may have to make sacrifices along the way. You may have to work while mm -hmm. you're pursuing that. Oh, it's always worth trying. It, it's always worth trying it. And it's never a matter of how good you are in this moment now. It's, it's your drive to do it. You know, absolutely go for it. Right. But it wouldn't just be about the arts. It's for whatever, whatever floats your boat, you know? Right. Just, just go for it. Well, that's why I love Never your think you that. can't. Never think right. you can't. Well, what, what's you know, that? What's that quote? I forgot who said it, but somebody said whether you can or you can't, whether you say you can or you can't, you're right. Like it's all like this mental yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. I forgot who said it. So before you ask the last question, mm -hmm. um, do you think of yourself, because you're from a creative family, your daughter's in photography, your husband is a chef. Do you feel that you are a creative person? No, not on their level. Hmm. Not on their level. Not on the level of people I see. But I admire, I admire those people. I admire, I've been around some amazingly brilliant creative people. But no, I don't think so. And that's interesting because you just, you came up with this whole program and you like learned and so it's oh it's well nice. I'm a good I'm I think I'm a good teacher I think I'm a good teacher and yeah okay I I did that that was that was yeah that, that was a that was pretty creative <laughs> but <laughs> I guess I don't think about it um, the same way when you say creative I think something different than just teaching but well, I like think I would I think I was born for that actually. Right. Oh, so that brings another question. Do you think a good teacher is mm -hmm. you can learn to be a good teacher or do you think it's like a natural thing since you said you, you were born for that? Oh, I think I no, I think you learn to be a good teacher, whether you're born wanting to be one or not. But, you know, I would never be a teacher who teaches the way Boulanger did through hate or through scaring somebody or intimidating them or shaming. Um, to inspire. Uh, for me, it's all about love. So yeah, no, but I don't think of myself as a creative in the sense of the arts or something like that. Well, it's like what, what I tell you, you know, when we talk about that, like I'll consider myself a creative in terms of like, you know, artistic, you know, writing fiction or whatever, but you're very creative in like teaching your class and coming up with new ways to reach kids. And just, she kind of seems like, She's creative in that front, uh, the same way you count yourself as creative as well. Oh, I wish I was as good as Jennifer because she does it like a blowing my mind kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, that definitely teaching. No, I mean, I, I take it back. Teaching is somewhat creative, but uh, that, yeah, I have to think on that question. <laughs> when I think of it where it applies to Jennifer, I get it. When I think of it as it applies to me, I'm not so sure. <laughs> and I ask because I don't see myself as creative either. So I'm just kind of like, that's, that's what makes me question it. So Oh, there's I, no question you are. Who calls the metronome Mr. Metronome? Who? <laughs> Who? Who does that? <laughs> you created him. You did. You really did. You personified him. <laughs> well, you personified him too, but 
you pulled him out of a hat, you know, it's great. <laughs> and then yeah. a lot of more, I keep referring to that because I told everybody about that, but, but there's more <laughs> stuff too. Yeah. I always tell Jen that she's uh she's creative and things that are super practical and needed in the moment <laughs> where, where I'm not, you know? <laughs> so, well, that's a nice, that's a nice little thing to have, you know, in your belt. That's good. That'll get you through some hard times. Yes. So I have a final question. Okay. Now, I know you said you're, you're years ago. You told me you know you're not a big fantasy person. This is kind of a, a stretch of a question, but I ask every single guest at the end of the interview because I just find it so fascinating. The answers I get. So okay, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh my God. You didn't even warn me about this question coming. <laughs> I don't like uh, warning people about this question. I just like throwing it out there. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me think. And by the way, parenthetically, uh, your books may, may, may get me to like certain kinds of reading that I had not been used to. So hold off on that. I don't generally, but I think I'm changing superpower. <laughs> um, gosh. Oh. I, I've always hoped I would reincarnate as a tree. But um, if I had a superpower, maybe it would be um, maybe flying. I don't know. That's a classic. It's a classic. I'm totally frightened of heights and flying. So it might be cool. That's very cool. I also but like it is. It is. It is just what everybody says. But I, I don't want power. It might be cool to be able to be invisible. But then I, nobody would ask me questions. So I don't know. Right. <laughs> you could ask them questions, though, and they won't know where they're There's probably, from. actually, you know, the answer is not what you want. There's probably a lot of different things I'd like to experience. So I'm sorry you're only letting me pick one. But No, um, no, no. No rules. You can pick. You can name five if you want. I don't care. <laughs> well, I would like them to be able to change. So I don't know what they would all be. But flying certainly jumps when I think about superpower. Nice. Or maybe, maybe. Oh, gosh, I could get really creative. Maybe it'd be fun to have the superpower of being able to touch someone and heal them. Ooh. Nice. That's a good yeah. one. That would be really cool. I, I, I would sort of dig that. That's very cool. Yeah. I could see you have. Okay, one power. more. I have one more, a fantasy superpower. Okay. That whatever language I wanted to speak, I would ah. be so open. Oh, you know, somebody said that too. And I thought it was such an interesting thing to I forgot who it was. Somebody had that. So that that's a... Uh, that's interesting that you said that because, uh, yeah, to be able to speak any language you want. That's I like love that superpower. Yeah. Jen, Jen loves languages. Um, I, I don't feel great. like I have a knack for it, but yeah, <laughs> I would need well, that. Just re- yeah. Just remember with languages, I mean, part of it, you just do for yourself, but if you're doing it to talk to other people, mm-hmm. they know when you're trying mm-hmm. and you'll get there. You know, they really know when you're trying and they know when you're not trying. So right. you can pick up as many, <laughs> as many languages as you want. But I will tell you this, since you have three young children, they should be learning other languages at this age. Mm-hmm. They, they need to do it now. Right. It's much harder when they're your age and really hard when they're my age. Right. So get them on it. Yeah, I told them. Well, yeah, they took Jen French is, with us. And I know then... they speak French, and that's much harder than <laughs> Italian. So they should go after Italian next. It's so easy by comparison. They did Italian for <laughs> they a did little Italian bit. for a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what I found most difficult for French is you know it doesn't read phonetically like like the way we uh, you know when you look at the word 
you know, the French pronunciation of, is it, you got to cut the ending off or what, you know, like it doesn't like even Boulanger, right? Like it looks like Boulanger to, to an English speaker. Right. Right. And, but it's Boulanger, you know, so it doesn't, it's, there's not like a logic to it in American, you know, English when you're looking at French words. So to me, that was like the most difficult part to try to, to try to get that, you know? Well, maybe you were trying to get it too quickly. It takes time to learn a language, you know? Right. You, Hello? What do you mean, three, three months. Three, three months is not enough you to master French. <laughs> I think you could probably be fluent in Italian pretty quickly, but it's uh, no, it, language takes a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And I don't read it especially well, but I, yeah. So it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. It really is. Now, this, the tree thing, reincarnated as a tree. I like that. Why? Because I, I love the image of it. So um, I, I love, I just love trees and I got this love probably from my mother. And that's just what I, that's what I'm hoping. Unless I come back as a something else, you know, and then I'll be okay with that. But yeah, I don't know. It's just something that I, I, I really love them. They symbolize something beautiful to me. No, I, I agree. Like I always said, like, I, I want to be cremated and I, I told the boys they can plant me with a tree. Oh, no question. Yeah. And I I just, I just love that image too. You know, it's just like the trees are, they're living, you know, but they're steady, you know, then, and I don't know. I like it. I like the image of a tree too. Yeah. They're reaching upwards. Yeah. Oh, the whole thing of it, the power and the beauty and they got their roots down into the earth, but they're reaching for the sky. There's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff with trees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've actually, I have actually been writing about trees a little bit lately. So if I ever get a single thing finished, I don't know if it'll be a poem or what it'll be. I will definitely, it, it's definitely not that topic, but I'll give Very you cool. one quick story that you're not going to ask me for. And it doesn't have to be in this, this uh, podcast, but my mom loved trees. And when we, when she died, we took her to the place she had said she was happiest, which was this boarding school that she was sent to. Um, she was sent to boarding schools from the time she was born, mm. but um this was in Pennsylvania and there was this, she remembered this gorgeous tree at the school that she was sent to and we found it. And, you know, really one of those things with lots of branches, you could put couches up there and tree houses and it was just huge and thick and gorgeous. And we sprinkled her ashes and it had been a sunny day. And right as we were sprinkling them, this light mist dropped Mm. that kind of sealed the ashes to the, the, the roots of the, of the tree. And then the second we stopped and it had just dampened them, it, it got sunny again. So wow. it was just, it was a nice, it was a nice tree moment with ashes. Mm-hmm. So I'm with, I'm with you, John Carla. Let's burn me and bury me there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sprinkle, sprinkle. Actually, sprinkle is better than bury. Sprinkle is better. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Alicia, it's been a pleasure having you on the Story King podcast and sharing your story with us. Uh, we thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. It's so nice to see you both. So that was our conversation with Leisha LeCarrie. Babe, how do you think that went? It's always a pleasure talking to Leisha. I love her stories. I love, I always learn stuff every time I talk to her. Uh, she just is a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience. And I just love her zeal for life and her love for people. I mean, it's so inspiring just hearing that 
she goes to jails and, and, you know, teaches inmates. And I love the whole part where she said her rule for the inmates was not to chew gum. Like, who has rules for inmates? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's fantastic, you know? Like, But that's the type of person she is. Like, people just are drawn to her. They're inspired by her. Um, she's brilliant. And she's, and she's warm and compassionate as well. Yeah, and I, I just, I noticed that too, that who she is is who she is. We've known her for years, and she's always had, like you said, that zeal for life. And I just thought it was in certain areas. Uh, I was joking with her on the show about how I remember when we asked her, like, oh, how was, you know, raising your daughter? And she's like, oh, it was a dream. You know, like, like she never had any problems. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting answer, you know? And then even when she was talking about, like, her her work here, you know, like it, it wasn't work for her because she loved it so much. And she just kind of just gives whatever she's doing a hundred percent and just loves the journey. And that's what I really appreciate about her, that she's somebody that actually loves the living part of life, mm-hmm. you know, not always just looking to get to some, you know, predetermined destination, but she's really enjoying the, the whole journey. And I, I thought that came through on this interview, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. And it's contagious, right? So we're doing this interview with huge smiles on our faces because that's just the type of person that she is. That that joy it just exudes from her. So it's it's just wonderful to be able to call her a friend. Mm-hmm. And I'll make sure her TED Talk link is in the show notes. Everybody, don't forget to check out storykingbooks.com. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. The username is storyking.podcast. I post weekly short stories, writing tips, and quotes from famous authors. You don't want to miss that. And please click like on our Facebook page. We're at facebook.com forward slash podcast. If you'd like to be a part of what we're doing with this show, please consider becoming a patron. You can choose a monthly membership tier at www.patreon.com forward slash thestoryking. All those links I just mentioned will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast... Please do me a favor of sharing the show with your friends and on social media, subscribing to it, and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Story King podcast, a show about the art and business of storytelling and living life. Please join us next time. Until then, 